it's more about going through that hard, painful work of figuring out your own way. No one's going to tell you how to price your stuff or put your stuff out there exactly the way it needs to be done. You have to take a risk. Without risk, there's no reward. The Perspective Podcast is fuel for your mind and creative grind. Each week, we break down the art of healthy hustling, overcoming the inner critic, and growing your creative business. What's going on? You're listening to episode 205 of the Perspective Podcast. I'm your host, Scotty Russell of Perspective Collective, and I want to give you the tools of mindset, motivation, and marketing to blaze your own creative path. At the end of each episode, I plug a listener of the week, so stick around to figure out how you can get a permanent shout out on a future episode. Today's overview. If I was to ever make one thing clear on this show, is that there is no one size fits all creative career path. What works for me may not work best for you. What works for you may not work best for someone else. What you can do is always be open-minded, share your process, your story, and just solely speak from experience. This alone helps you create value and contribute to the overall creative community. And someone who's been blazing his own creative path over the years is my good friend, Eric Friedenson, aka FDOT. He's a Brooklyn-based muralist, educator, merch slanger, fine artist, skateboarding savant, and a freelancing wizard who's collabed with big baller brands like Topps, VaynerMedia, Pat Flynn, Skillshare, ConvertKit, and more. But more importantly, he's a critical thinker and just an incredibly supportive good friend. In today's episode, FDOT and I chat about the importance of patience and exploration, how to create value and communicate it, finding your style through purposeful play, the different levels of niching, tips for getting started selling your work, and so much more. If you're feeling overwhelmed and looking for a sign that you're on the right path, I'm pretty sure we got you covered today like a blanket. But before we get started, today's episode is brought to you by Garm Company. Garm stands for Graphic Artist Resource Merchant, and they're a boutique-style shop for designer tools, resources, and goods crafted together with some of the most talented designers in the business. Their textures, brushes, fonts, and courses help you achieve that highly desired professional polish while saving you tons of times and not breaking your bank. P.S. Again, as always, I have a set of Procreate brushes on there too called Amal Gamma. Think my digital ink brushes on steroids, but we want to hook you up by visiting garmcompany.com slash scotty and using code Pizza 20 to take 20% off your purchase. This even works on sale items. Also, shout out to your Patreon supporters out there financially backing the show like my family at Iron Bean Coffee Company does. With as little as your weekly cup of coffee, your support directly helps the show continue to grow, which allows me to invest in the podcast team, equipment, and hosting. To learn more about how you can back the show and rewards for pledging, simply visit patreon.com slash perspective podcast and just know we couldn't do what we do without you, so thank you. And one final thing before we kick this episode off, if you found value in this episode, it would mean the world to me as well as FDOT if you took a screenshot or a video of you working to this in the background and then just tag us over on Instagram stories so we can connect and I can reshare the love back. As always, keep an open mind and act on anything that inspires you today. Let's go. PC family, we welcome back Eric Friedenson, aka F Dot, back on the show today for round two of the Perspective Podcast. Long time no talk. How you been, man? Yo, Scotty, it's good to be here, man. I'm doing well. How you doing? I'm all right, man. It's it's freezing in Iowa. Are you back in New York now? Yep, I'm in New York. Today's actually not too cold out, but uh, there's a lot of snow on the ground. It was a blizzard last week. Yeah, we just got hit hard with the blizzard. So yeah, I've just been shoveling. I feel like half my life has been shoveling these days, but. I got a snowblower, so I'm like officially an adult in the Midwest, so took a long time. <laughs> You're not going to get a, fl- a flamethrower? No, no, I'm not on the Elon <laughs> Musk level, but uh, for those who don't know, fun fact, Eric was the first interview on this show way back in February 2017, episode 26, so I'm going to have him you know, give us some background here, a, a short Wikipedia page summary because so much has changed, but if you want to go back in the archives and get to know him a little bit better in his backstory, episode 26. So, um, and it's funny, I was so terrified to do my first interview and I'm an over-prepared kind of guy when I'm really scared and doing something new. And that one was like way over-prepared and way too like, uh, organized and structured. And I've since loosened it up a lot. Yeah. I think that episode was about, uh, like three tips for passion projects or something like that. Three ways to stay inspired to create your personal work. 
Yeah. Wow, man. I, I got to go back and re-listen to that. I wonder if uh, I would still give the same advice today. I will not go back and re-listen <laughs> to it. <laughs> I don't listen to like anything below 25 and under, somewhere around that range. But Cringe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so those who don't know, we can just catch them up to speed. Give them a brief Wikipedia page summary about yourself. Sure. So my name's Eric. I am an artist, illustrator, and muralist based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm originally from outside of New York City, and now I've lived here for almost a decade with a few years outside traveling. I mostly do murals, custom illustrations for clients. I teach on Skillshare. I have a, a mix of different things I'm doing these days, and it's been a big evolution. I like to keep my, my, uh, my pen dipped in a few different buckets of ink, so to speak. We met back at Creative South many years ago, and I think that was a big formative experience for both of us, and it's really shaped our careers and just taking ourselves more seriously and being more intentional about what we do with our creative work. So every day is a new challenge, and I'm just I'm giving it my best. I don't really want to put myself into into a bucket too much of like, I'm an illustrator because I like to do a lot of different stuff. And I know that this is a, actually, I'm excited to talk about this with you today because you give a lot of advice about niching down, focusing in. I feel like I've been bu building this creative universe of a few different things, like rolling a couple different balls up the hill in different ways. And so I'm excited to jump into it, man. No, I like that as I am a big component of niching down. That's what I say. Cause it's helped me significantly, but I think it's a, a pick or choose. Cause I'm still like in a season where I'm, I'm, I'm really becoming known. I'd rather just be known for coaching versus necessarily just being an artist like before. But now I'm finding new ways to bake in wrinkles, whether it's like these rhymes or whatever it is, like it's other little interests that I'm like sharing alongside the way. So it's not just hyper-focused. This is all I'm going to be sharing. So I think there is a beautiful marriage of the two, but First off, let's catch people back up from where you were in 2017. Then we're rolling to this because this wasn't planned. Actually, none of this is really planned. But let's talk about where you are with 2017 to where you are today and kind of the big moves that you're making. Because we first met in 2015 at Creative South, 2017 for the first episode. And now almost four, four years later. Holy shit. A lot has happened for sure. I feel like in 2017, I was working full time at WeWork. I believe I had just started shortly before that. And I ended up working full-time on their art and graphics team for three and a half years. Really used them as a platform to build my artwork and my career. I was very fortunate to have a creative director that encouraged me to push my style, try different things, not just stick with the lettering that I was used to back in, that, in those days and really try more abstract art and illustration and combining everything. So that, that uh, really shaped my portfolio and also attracted different types of opportunities. And so I went pretty heavy into murals. Uh, for a couple of years while I was working at WeWork on the side and also at the company. So I was getting experience on the job, painting in these different co-working spaces. Um, eventually, I left WeWork, and uh, I'm so happy that I left when I did. But it was about a year and a half ago. And since then, I've been grinding on my uh, my freelance small F.Dot Studio kick and uh, been hiring help and slowly growing the business. And this last year, I did a big collaboration with Tops. Uh, I was working for them almost every day. I felt like it just I put my heart and soul into this project all year long last year to create these baseball cards, reimagining some of their older pieces from the archive, bringing them into my style. And so I've been doing large scale, super large scale stuff and then super small scale stuff on the baseball cards. So I like the extremes. And in the middle there, I started a project last year called the Muralists Community. And that's an Instagram account that I run with my partner, Jesse. That's been really instrumental in just giving back and teaching and sharing other artists that inspire me. And I have a lot of plans for that for the future. But th those are really the areas I've been focusing on. Still a lot of client work with Tops. I have more coming up this year. Still more teaching through Muralists and Skillshare. And I also sell pieces in my shop. So I like to do all these things and mix them together into a big salad. <laughs> so how would you say is like your broken up time? Would you say like out of 100% you got a pie chart? Would it be like 60% freelance 20% muralist, and then what's the other math? 20% of uh, shop? Well, the client work actually ties into my shop a little bit. True. That's a, that's, a, that's a unique overlap you got going on with that. And I want to share more on that too because you can paint a mural and then make prints of it. There's no reason you can't do that. You can also you can take a client project and reproduce it if the client is okay with it um, and then put it in your shop, and then you end up getting more out of that piece. You can be more intentional about it, and I want to share like how I kind of scaled that part of my shop and that side of my business. But I'd say if I had to put it on a pie chart, it is half client work, 30% percent 
fine art and stuff for my shop and then 20% muralists. Muralist doesn't make any money. It's a complete just passion project. Just the education portion of your brand. Yeah, it, eventually it might turn into something bigger where there's a membership or the sponsors for the podcast. We started a podcast called Extra Paint where we interview muralists and that one has been going. We're 17 episodes in now, so just getting going. Maybe in a year from now I'll feel like you do. <laughs> I don't want to go back and listen to those early episodes, but I'm super proud of them, man. Next week we got Lisa Congdon coming on. Nice. I think yeah. so in the future you just had Lisa Congdon on. Um, so you guys can go back or you True, all yeah. can go back and listen to that. But I think you're starting out at a better spot than when I started with the podcast. I didn't know my message. I didn't know my voice. I didn't know who my audience was. I didn't know what I wanted. I think at the time when I was starting it, my brain was all over the place, like freelance and shop and all these different things that I saw everybody else were doing, like yourself. And I'm like, wow, they have big clients. I want to do that. So I want to talk about the world of niching down because it's massively helped me out. But I want to see it through the lens of like, I don't just say, hey, you're just starting off. You should niche down and only focus on this. Like I'm all about experimenting, going through exploratory seasons. But if you get to a point, you're a couple years in it and you've done all the things, your Superman syndrome, signing object syndrome, like what has worked for you and what do you want to do more of and what's maybe caught a pulse? And then why not go deeper in that direction for a season? So I'm not saying like ever go in a license. I want to just make sure that's out there. And what I teach is like, hey, if you've done this for a while, here's my experience. Maybe if you're feeling how I felt, but you found your curated pulse and you found that area you want to go deeper in, don't be afraid to go all in for a season. You don't have to say no to everything forever. You can push pause, you can eliminate, you can delegate, or you can slowly weave in something else new, kind of like what I'm doing. So that's where I want to like put my angle on before you share your angle, because I feel like you're doing elements of niching down without maybe saying you're doing it. I definitely subscribe to that philosophy of going all in on a niche or or even a style i think that there's something that ties together whether i'm doing a drawing on paper or print or uh, bending a bit of neon light like you can all tell that it's the same artist and so the medium doesn't have to be your niche it can be a you can be an abstract artist and then have many different you know so the niche is very subjective constant and variables yeah you know, there's many, many different ways to niche down. Um, some people would call it an industry or a market instead of a niche, like the sports card market, for example, or the street art market, fine art market. Those are markets, not necessarily niches. I'm not really sure what's the difference in some of these cases, but I do want to share before I share my story about how I like carved out this niche for myself. You know, I want to make it clear that there's no one way to grow your art practice and your creative endeavors. This is what's worked for me. And when I give advice to people, there's so many factors that I don't know. I don't know what stage they're at. I don't know what their background is. I don't know what they think is beautiful. It's a lot of missing context when people are asking for advice. You only get a surface level question. I don't know what they think is beautiful. I don't know what they think is valuable. I don't know what their audience thinks is valuable. They know that better than me. So it's hard to say, do this. You can't really give advice like that. It doesn't often work. It's, it's more about going through that hard, painful work of figuring out your own way. No one's going to tell you how to price your stuff or put your stuff out there exactly the way it needs to be done. You have to take a risk. Without risk, there's no reward. And, and I would also say like where you and I are coming from, I've learned in the past like blanket statements, there is no one size fits all creative career path. And so you and I, we speak from experience with our guidance you know, and anecdotal evidence from like the conversations we have from friends, close friends or podcast guests at conferences. So, but it's up to someone else to find what applies to them and apply it to their own pursuits. Yeah, man. I feel like we both started off trying to just take this advice that we were finding on the internet and implement it and grow. And we were so impatient. We were just like, we want to be well known for our work. It's like five years ago when we met and we just weren't willing to realize that there's there's no one that's going to hold our hand along the way. And so we would look, look online for these mentors and people who were giving advice. And then when it didn't work for us, we'd be like, wait a second. So you're telling me that the advice out there isn't good advice? No, it's just case by case. It's like, it's all about whatever stage you're in. So not every piece of advice is good for every, every artist at every stage. So, you know, there is no shortcut. <laughs> you say this all the time, but there is no way of getting to the next level in a snap of a finger. It takes a lot of testing and trying and failing and figuring out 
what works in your specific situation. You can't go from a tricycle to a Harley. Yeah, no. I feel like we this this whole overnight success thing is something that is talked about a lot, but we had to riff on it for a bit. Well, it's important because of where we've come. We've known each other for so long. We've seen each other's success. I feel like you've kind of always been on this similar path and it's just compounded and expanded. My shit has just been a, a complete 180 turn in a different direction because I was just surrounded by all these freelancers and I thought that's what I wanted to do. But I think for you, you have a case where you've done the slow and steady grind. You've experimented. You gave yourself a season of finding your style from like the blob experiment. You gave yourself permission to play and not for something. And now look at this shit. You're like attracting clientele and your merch is filled with just this specific style. You gave yourself permission to go deep in. And now it's become a, a niche style, not necessarily a medium because the medium you do it in all different angles from all different types of projects from all different directions. How, how did you find your style? Even though I know it's an ever evolving process and it continues to grow, but like, what was the thought process? Cause your shit you're creating now is completely different than when we first linked up in the beginning. Yeah. Big, uh, big difference, but it was a slow, gradual shift. Uh, I do want to say that I don't think by any means that I've made it. I don't think that I am neither of us have successful yet. And as far as I want to be, uh, and this is true for hopefully everybody listening to this podcast. They're not super famous. Probably they're not a nobody. They're somewhere in the middle. They're somewhere in the, in those steps of growing their creative practice. Maybe that's where you are. And we're all in this medium middle stage and we're just, you know, comparing isn't going to help. So saying that one artist has all these big name clients, like they're, they're still a medium sized artist in the end of the day, we're all in this middle level and it's okay to be at the place that you're at. Cause that's, that's what you've put in. That's, that, that's what was the, either the hand that was dealt to you plus the work that you put in. Ooh. So anyway, let's talk about the style for a minute. So I always loved uh, typography and lettering. And when I was in college, I, I did several classes about it. I did a whole senior thesis project about sign painting around the city of Philadelphia, photographing signs, interviewing sign painters. I was just so fascinated by how people could actually spend their days painting in a digital world today that they could get offline and still take out the brush. And so I did a whole research project on it. Didn't do much painting that year in my senior year of college, but I ended up with this book and this like sign painting thesis. So afterwards I was like, I want to go paint. I'm going to go reach out to all those sign painters that I interviewed and try to assist them and see if they need help. And it ended up working after, you know, it's a numbers game. If you reach out to a lot of people, some people will get back to you. So a few sign painters brought me on. I wouldn't say I was an apprentice, but I did get to assist on a lot of different jobs, something from, you know, a menu for a restaurant to the side of a building, like a billboard being painted for a beer company. And I got to see it all and figure out what parts of it I liked. I realized that I really liked making my own artwork and not painting other people's artwork. So I didn't want to label myself as a sign painter. And there, there are a few sign painters out there that can bridge the gap between fine art and sign painting. So I kind of ditched that title and said, I don't want to be a sign painter. I'm going to be a lettering artist. Looking back, these labels are so silly. Like, why do I have to have a label anyway? But putting out lettering work was something I was focused on doing for a long time. Over, over time, the, the phrases and the style started to develop. I, I was always drawn to like bold and blocky forms for some reason. And I don't really know 100% why yet. I'm still exploring it. But I was always drawn to this type of undulating organic form. I do think that when we see organic forms, we see ourselves in them because humans and nature are all organic. So maybe, there's, maybe it's that that draws me to it. I'm sure we all know some artists that are super geometric and it's like the opposite of that, but I've always loved organic forms and also the contrast between the two. So when it came to trying out illustration a few years later, I had broken my leg skateboarding. And so I bought an iPad pro to get through this recovery. I did a whole series of illustrations about skateboarding. This was the first time that I incorporated this passion of mine into my work. And I was scared to do that for so long, <laughs> for so long. I was like, skateboarding is unprofessional. No one's going to take me seriously. So that was the fears just from like a judgment standpoint of no one's going to take you seriously as a creative artist from like a, a professional landscape or commercial work. Yeah. I didn't think there was a market for it. I mean, every, every person I talked to said there was no money in doing artwork for skateboarding industry. Not that I would go into it for the money, but you need to pay the bills. So I didn't want to make that my niche of skateboarding art. And also I didn't think that the bigger brands because I also had all these other branding skills I was doing logo types I was doing 
all kinds of design projects that I could find, some of them hand-painted, some of them just digital. And I thought that having these skateboarding influences in my work would just make me feel juvenile or make me feel like not professional enough to work with these bigger companies. But later, I, I had a chat with Andy J Pizza. I hired him for a coaching call, and he kind of snapped me out of my reality and being like, dude, why isn't skateboarding in your work? And so I owe it to I owe like a lot of uh, that energy to him just like for finding that in me and being like, you need to make a series about this. So that was what I did for Inktober 2017. I made 30 illustrations uh, uh, based on skateboarding. Some of them were like pun heavy. I know you love the dad jokes. And then uh, from there, it just kept evolving more illustration and abstract work and just being influenced by the other artists that we work was was huge for me and, and giving me the platform to create them as physical pieces on the wall that people could enjoy just built a lot of confidence in me. And so I was just trying things left and right. The blob character kind of came out of nowhere where I was feeling really homesick one day. I had moved uh, down to Argentina for a year and a half to work with WeWork and build their team down there. And I was really homesick and I didn't have that many friends and I didn't really have good Spanish skills. <laughs> so it was, it was tough the first few months. It was exciting, but it was tough. And that's where the blob character kind of came out. It's like I wanted something, I wanted to express myself in a way that letters couldn't do. And it, and it became a more abstract form that was like representative of how I was feeling in that time. And I think I was also just looking for friends. So the blob became like my best friend. And everywhere I went, I would just paint on the walls, draw it in my sketchbook, and just keep experimenting with form. You know, I didn't expect for it to become like commercially viable, that series of work. But that's been a, a big part of my commercial work as well these days. It's a long story of, of how that developed. <laughs> but I think the most important takeaway is like you played you like found yourself in some work stayed with it shared it vulnerably and then it over time evolved into a route where it could provide impact and when you provide impact or you create value with your work then it can be monetized and opportunities come that's like a really businessy way to say it like a, a more a more creative way to say it is like when others zig you zag right do something different do something that you don't see out there it's hard you have to make a lot of stuff before you see something that you don't see out there. But that was always my pursuit. I wanted to be different. You know, I'm a skateboarder. Like I wanted, I really value individualism. But you didn't put the pressure to monetize it though. It was for you. Of course, of course. That's, everything always comes from the desire to create something. I think most people are coming from it, from the desire they think they have to monetize something right away so they don't give themselves permission to play. At least that's a lot of conversations I've been having over the last year is people feel the pressure they have to make money with whatever they create and share right away due to comparison. So I'm glad you're talking about this. It's also due to privilege. Some people are in the position where they have time to play and they have their bills paid for by a job or a supportive partner or their parents or whatever. Everyone has a unique situation and not everybody has the mental space or the uh, the time to, to play, honestly. Like not everybody does. Some Most people do. I have I can guarantee that if you're listening to this, you have time to create at least a little bit just for the process of creating, not for for money, but not everybody. You know, there's there's definitely I don't want to say that uh, everybody can do this right now. It might not be a right now thing for everybody. And I know I'm in a really privileged position to be able to even have that time to create in the beginning. I, I do think it all does. It all needs to start from the desire to create something that you don't see out there just bringing out whatever's inside of you onto the page, onto the, the screen. Because once you find that, you're unstoppable. You have a monopoly over that thing. No one can do it like you. A lot of people can draw continuous line drawings or, or figures or, or paint murals, but I've worked really hard to try to make a style that it's hard to replicate. And I think the organic line actually ties into that. Like No one can draw the same organic line that you can. If you use a ruler, sure. Straight lines are easy to draw, right? But but no one can do that free flow thing that no one can draw a line like you. So if someone was sitting here, like a lot of the people I talk to and they're feeling forced and they're privileged enough where they can create, they're just like so caught up in what everyone else is doing. What would be some advice from your experience of like, like listen to what your inside intuition is wanting to create or go off your feeling and just go deep, turn off social media. Like what would be some guidelines if you were just like, if you were starting in place, looking back at where you were 
you know, and you want to create the blob again, what would you tell your past self? Like three things you would tell your past self of encouragement. Have fun. And I think in order to have fun, you have to prepare yourself to have fun. <laughs> so it's hard to sit down and draw when you're not in the mood, right? So what gets you in the mood? What do you gotta, What's the music you got to put on? What's the comfy sweatpants you like to wear when to put yourself in a state of feeling free? Whatever it is, those little things. I'm, I'm describing <laughs> what I wear when I draw sometimes. Um, so prime the pump. Get, get yourself prepared to have fun. What's, who's the speaker that coined that phrase, prime the pump? I think it was Zig Ziglar. Zig Ziglar, yeah. I like that phrase. I have a little post-it in my studio that says prime the pump so I don't forget that drawings don't just come out of fresh air. You got to get yourself into that headspace. So I think before you allow yourself to have fun, if it's not coming easily, it might make sense to just go get inspired through music, through, you know, I was watching some artist documentaries recently. I was just feeling kind of burnt out. So I went back and watched documentaries on YouTube about my favorite artists while I was drawing. And oh my God, that lit me up. Like I forgot how much I get inspired when I, when I, watch these free spirits just like create man it's like you got to find your fuel source yeah and then in, in terms of like carving out the style it, it, there is no shortcut it's just going to click one day if you keep creating um it, it, it won't be a all of a sudden thing it'll be very slow and gradual but you will be able to stand back one day and look at your look at your work and maybe you can even do it today if you look at the trends in your work and you can see where it's going where it's come from all we have is this present moment it's not about that future style that you're going to have you have time right now to create and put something out into the world that is meaningful to you and hopefully to others. That's what matters. It's not about what you're gonna, what, what's that style you're going to make in a few years. And yeah, the money will come. The money will come. It'll come when you're ready. I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I wouldn't say huge spiritual guy, but I am a believer like money will come when you're like ready and open for the opportunity for it. It's also just a byproduct of, of putting in the work and, and, showing up and not putting too many expectations on it as well. And and I'm also a component. I went through the hard route of the Gary V old mantra of like grind, 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 no sleeps, hustle, hustle, hustle. That used to be me for the first couple of years, but now I'm like, okay, Hey, it's okay to like go hard in the paint for a season, but you also need to like take some <laughs> breaks and rest along the way. Cause man, I was burning myself out. So healthy hustle. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that for a second because healthy hustle, I like that phrase because it reminds us that we got to work hard, but we also got to stay healthy. Self-care is the most important thing in this world. And I, three, four years ago, I wouldn't have said that. I don't know. I, I go back and forth on this because there's different seasons for different things. 100%. I don't have a kid like you. I don't have a pet in my apartment. And I have a very supportive partner that I like to spend time with. That's like my quality time with Jesse. It's something I value a lot when I'm not working, especially during this lockdown pandemic mode where we haven't been going out and socializing. We haven't been going to events. Living in New York, there's a lot going on, art shows, et cetera, concerts. I haven't been going to any of that. So I have been filling that time with mostly more work, but also more self-care. And I, I think it's, I got to check myself too, man. I, I stay up sometimes till 4 a.m. finishing a piece. And sadly, that's when I create my best work sometimes. Dude, I got to keep myself in check too. I I have a hard time turning it off. I could be wired in like the Matrix, the Perspective Collective 24-7 if I really, really, really wanted to. But then that affects relationships. That affects my mental state, my health. Yeah. For sure. I think the way that I dealt with this crisis of the pandemic was I really did throw myself into my work and that was my way of working, of, of staying optimistic through this time because I knew I still had this gift. And I knew that others needed the gift. I believed in myself. You could be robbing someone else and well as yourself if you don't pursue it. People need art right now. It's not necessarily the most essential thing that people need. Some, we need vaccines. <laughs> people crave a distraction at the same time, you know, something from other than the news. Yeah, it's not just a distraction, though. I think distraction is a dangerous word because it sounds like it can be dismissed or it's unhealthy distraction. A beautiful, useful distraction from other things going on. It's art, man. We, 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 as we grow up, we get exposed to art. And, it, and for some people, it's their favorite thing, even if they don't create art. And the fact that you have the abilities to make things from nothing and put it out there in the world and other people get to enjoy it, like that's just amazing in itself. And uh, I don't want any artist to ever stop being grateful for that gift, man. And, and like realize that if you believe in yourself, the people who want that work will find you eventually substitute distraction for escape 
that's what escapism is one yeah but you can also bake in like I, i've actually been trying to create something that has the sense of escapism like you can get lost in it you can enjoy just the composition of it as as an art piece but then there's also like a deeper level maybe there's a word hidden in there that triggers something that's happening in the current day so it speaks to both worlds the, the baseball card thing is actually a good example of this i did a jackie robinson card when the black lives matter protest started and i was like oh my god this is an opportunity to speak to the current moment and honor jackie robinson's legacy as a civil rights activist and so i put the word justice right on the card right after george floyd's death and yeah it's an escape the baseball cards people started collecting these things to get away from the problems but you can also bake in reminders of where we're at like marking time i recommend artists to like start dating their pieces too because you'll look back and you'll be like what was going through my head in 2021 Definitely. So you've found your style. Things have evolved over time. Um, growing as a human, most importantly. How have you now been able to like communicate the value in your work and know the value it provides you and being confident and speaking towards the value you can provide someone else? Or how does that, how would you articulate that? Because we had talked about um, building the value of your artwork, you know, and creating your own universe. So how do you build the value of your artwork and then how do you communicate that? It's not an overnight like, aha. Totally. So while you're creating and you're, and you're making stuff, you're, you know, at some point you got to say this piece is finished. I'm going to share it out into the world. You might not know exactly how to define the value of, of what you're best at creating. I like to divi uh, divide the value, the idea of value into three areas, educational, inspirational, and entertainment. Okay. That's exactly what I say. So carry on. I think we talked about this a while back. Yeah. So I, I may have learned it from you or we may, we may have both learned it at the same time. But, you know, you don't have to fall into one bucket. You can do all those things. I do believe that storytelling has a massive power right now, especially right now. People are looking for stories to sync. We communicate through stories. The difference between an abstract drawing on the wall and an abstract drawing on the wall where you actually know who the artist is, is the story. There's, a sto there's an artist's story there. And you can use that to your advantage. I think building those relationships with people telling your story through your work is a form of value in itself because people can identify with it. They feel like they are, they know what it's like. This is a way of, um, of saying it. artists have the power to say things that other people are thinking, but they don't know how to say it. People are feeling a certain way and artists, it's kind of the artist's job to, to sum it all up in whatever medium they, they want to make people realize something that they didn't know, but, relate to each other in a way. So I think that's a big part of the value that I provide through my work is like, I want to, with a lot of my pieces, I want to provide a calming effect and uh, an escapism, like you said. So I think that's one of my main strengths as an artist. I've tried to do to, to like illustration about editorial work or, or commenting on current events. It doesn't flow as much. I like to escape with my art and I think it it's that same way for other people. But I do think that there's stories that can happen around it that make it feel less abstract and more tangible, more relatable. I would say to someone out there struggling to understand the value they do provide, like think about what you need the most in life for me. Like I, I grew up really depressed and sad and feeling like a failure and feeling like I had no purpose in life. And so the bucket I needed to fulfill out of those three buckets, entertainment, inspiration, um, education, I needed the inspiration bucket just to like find my groove again. So that's what I would mirror in my work. If I had one bucket that spoke to me the most, that shows up in my work the most, is obviously the inspiration bucket. You know, I'm trying to like motivate my past self who just felt in a creative, depressed funk. So if someone's out there like, man, I don't know what value, I'm like, what sets you on fire? What gets you motivated? Is it watching a documentary and being educated that sets you on fire? And then you want to talk about that in your own work or easily inspired in storytelling or is it from like an entertainment and dancing or whatever it is that comedy or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I would say like what, what lights you up first or what fulfills your bucket and pretty much you're probably going to like mirror that within your own work. The reason I brought up the buckets was because I feel like a lot of my work that I do with muralists and with Skillshare covers the educational side. And I don't try to think that everybody who interacts with my work wants to learn from me. People consume whatever you put out differently for sure. Yeah, and I don't want to only be a teacher as well, so I have created a separate channel for that specific kind of value. It's also inspirational, and hopefully it's entertaining. Yeah, you can overlap them. That's what I call the holy grail, the trinity. <laughs> exactly.
And then in terms of entertainment, I don't really do too much of that. <laughs> but I hope I like to think that because I try to live a semi-interesting life, that just by putting it out there, it's entertaining for people or it's inspiring for people. Like skateboard-related things, that could be entertaining yeah. or... Um, for me, it's like alliterations and silly things because otherwise yeah. my stuff can be too serious. But if you know me in person, you know I am just straight up goofball. You know, so like how do I show that more in my work? That's been a hard bucket for me to kind of figure out and tap into was like the entertainment bucket for myself. If you're listening to this and you're feeling like, well, my story is not special. I'm not interesting. I just live in the middle of nowhere or I don't really have much going for me. Well, you have the power to make goals and you have the power to be more interesting if you want. If you want to save up and rent a car and drive around the country, like you can make that and, and that'll show up in your art too. And, and it's going to be an interesting thing to follow. There, you know, there really are no rules besides the things happening outside of our control right now in, in the world. But it, it, you know, if, you, if you don't have an interesting life, odds are your work isn't going to be as interesting as it could be without you know, garbage in, garbage out kind of thing. You're watching cartoons all day. Oh, actually, cartoons are dope. If you're watching the news all day, yeah, yeah. It's going to be hard to create from an authentic place, you know. So, if if I can make something happen for my creative career in the middle of bumfuck Iowa, you know, where everybody thinks it's Idaho or Ohio, then I feel like everybody is capable of having some spark, and people do it with way worse circumstances than I have, and make things happen yeah. for themselves. And and you also just just because you're from Iowa doesn't mean that your story is any different, man. Mm-hmm. Like you have a crazy story. I remember when you spoke on stage at Creative South and shared your injury story and how you were able to start embracing being a coach and just being vulnerable like that really related with people, man. So it doesn't matter where you're from. Everyone has a story to tell. Mm. I do want to make sure we have some time to talk about um, like the print side of the world because I get a lot of people asking me like, how do I start monetizing my work or selling prints? And I want to take them back like at the beginning of January, I was hosting like this little live session and my friend Jackie Lake was asking me like, what's the best steps of monetizing or creating prints from my work. And I'm just like, okay, let me just speak from experience of two things I've experienced. And one is just sitting on stock, selling stuff, going all in and learning shipping, learning fulfillment. And the other way I've experienced is print on demand. You know, those are just the two options that I've experienced. And then you came in with a super helpful um, option that I actually, if I was going to do this again, this is the route I would take. I would love to hear you speak on it. And then I would love to hear you um, add on top of like, Trading client work or murals or whatever else, like repurposing work into work that you can sell. I want to be clear that prints are just a small piece of the puzzle because if you're only making prints, there's not much driving the demand for those prints. But if you're making murals, if you're making digital art, that is, you're prolific in, in the original pieces that you're putting out. If you're making canvases, if you're making whatever it is, it's not like the prints aren't going to be the first thing that, uh, that sell usually. The original thing is what people want usually. Or if, 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 if you make digital work, you could sell a one-of-one one print as the original. But starting there, starting with, with small intentional pieces and eventually small runs of prints. I'm talking like three prints, five prints. Tapping into a scarcity. Yeah, and it not only does it make people feel really special when they get the print, if they know that there's only a few other people out there that have it, but... It also marks time. It, it shows this is where this artwork stops and starts and stops. After I sell all these, this will not be printed again. And so it sh- it says this is this is what I want to put out there in 2021. This is what my work means to me in 2021. And thinking about the long term, if, if you actually do enjoy making prints and you, you stick with it for a few years, I'm looking back now. My first print was the Optimist letterpress card. I made 200 of them. Uh, I gave them away for free after the fire. You know my whole story. And that uh, that was where I started with prints. I'm not sure if I would go back and do it all over again just like that if I, uh, if I was trying to make the most profit on my prints. But I wasn't trying to make the most profit on my prints. I was just trying to put something meaningful out there into the world. And so starting with that, starting with you're not going to maximize profit in the very beginning. So how can you build slowly rolling this snowball over and over again and then eventually you got yourself a snowman because you got the, the big expensive prints on the bottom, the middle prints, the, <laughs> the small size prints. Your tears. I just made up that snowman analogy. I kind of like it. Yeah. So just starting really small is, is my biggest tip and investing in quality over quantity 
in the beginning. If you want to do the print-on-demand thing, you can do it, but just know that you're putting out things that are less special. If they're not signed by you, if they're not numbered. You have way less control of like the user experience. Like I, The only thing I didn't like about it is I couldn't write like a personal note. I wrote a personal note for everything, and that was special to someone. And you, you lose that. Yeah, in addition to the, the low editions, I always go above and beyond for my shipments with custom packaging, stickers, little inserts, sometimes handwritten notes when I have the time these days. Uh, I, I definitely started out with doing handwritten notes for everybody. And you don't think about it like, my audience isn't going to care about this or how, how is that sustainable over time? Don't worry about it. Just focus on building these relationships and eventually you'll have one person who's collecting multiple pieces of work from you. And then eventually you'll have two people that's collecting multiple pieces of work from you. And you'll start to build this art collector base. And maybe someone only buys one print from you, but you're, you're building relationships through these little touches that aren't really doable through print on demand. And it's just, it's just way more meaningful. When an artist takes the time to sit down and make something special, they, it really goes a long way and it, it compounds over time. Man, I love that and I want to parallel it to someone if you're like not worried about creating work. What I like to talk about is one person at a time philosophy, like make an impact on one person at a time over time. And it's like the world of money and compounding interest, but compounding impact. You just keep serving and having those little micro interactions and creating powerful personalized experiences. And that one person, it's going to turn to two person or they're going to spread the word to someone else. Like me, I saw these cards that you're putting out there. I've gotten to know you over time. They meant something to me. And then I'd share it to someone else or I'd buy it from my dad. And now my dad knows about you. You know, but it's like one little person at a time, one little art collector at a time. And that's how you can build an engaged following with your work. You don't have to have a massive following, a massive um, draplin size audience to be successful creative artist. And again, the prints are just a piece of the puzzle. If you went too heavy on them, they become less special. If you're releasing a new print every single week, let's be realistic here. Maybe if you made them really, really small additions, it could work. But it's still a lot. It's like the, it's sort of the equivalent of fast fashion where every single week is like a new season in, in fast fashion, pre-summer, post-summer, like, well, just give me summer. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, who cares? <laughs> so I feel like with this, with this building your brand through additions, you have a lot of power and control over things that maybe you don't realize. And I know it's a lot of investment up front to buy high quality prints, but if you have good, uh, good resources online, you know, companies nearby that you can support just have them make a small run of prints where you save up for it it'll be worth it like maybe you don't do screen prints because those are you know they make more sense to do larger runs at least maybe 10 because the setup fees and everything but you could still sign a number of digital prints if you want g clay um letterpress risograph is a, is a less expensive option also like ruben rojas said recently too this could carry over from merch world or you want to get into clothing line, you know, just do a small run of t-shirts. Don't sit on stock, just make it very limited or your own canvases, whatever it is, but start small, build in the scarcity limited run and you can scale it from there if you want, but make shit special for people. I have a mixed relationship with t-shirts, man. Dealing with all the sizes. T-shirts is a pain in the ass. And also there's a, there's a very low cap on what people are willing to pay for a t-shirt, not as much with a print. So you can start by selling your prints for 10 bucks, and then later on you can sell them for 100 bucks if you gain notoriety and make them keep them limited. And that's actually something I want to talk about is because some artists, they go, they go too far, too high with the prices, and then they price out their market, and they try to like be more famous than they were, really, by saying, yeah, you have to, you have to pay $1,000 to get a print of mine. What did you just do? You, no one can afford your print. And also, if no one buys it, when you then go and try to sell a print for less money, people are going to be like, well, his prices are all over the place. Cheap in his brand, yeah. Their brand. Start small. Start small and, and slowly grow. It's okay if you underprice things in the beginning. You want them to sell. You want them to get into people's homes so that they can put it up on their wall, enjoy it, talk about it, share it. It's okay if, if it's less money. Let's uh, pivot to rapid fire. And first I want to lead off with, what are some great ideas? Kind of you said it before, but like rapid fire some ideas of like repurposing Photos of your mural, repurposing client work if it's um, okay, you know, from from a, a merchandise standpoint. Some more ideas from that because I thought that was pretty cool. This can be done in a lot of different ways. So I'll give a couple examples. Uh, one example is you did a mural for a client and 
the client is not necessarily a huge company that needs to own the artwork. So before you go into it, you can say this is going to be your wall. It's your wall. If you want to paint over it in the future, you can paint over it. If you want to take photos of it and share it online, go for it. No extra cost for that. If you do need maintenance, that's extra cost potentially how bad it is. But if they don't need to own the artwork, it's still yours. It's your intellectual property as an artist. Like if they're not doing a buyout for like the usage rights or anything like that. If you didn't sign away the rights to your artwork in a contract, whether it was your contract or the client's contract, it's still your art. And you can make prints of it if you want. Doing the right thing and saying, hey, client, I'm going to make prints of this artwork if that's okay with you in my shop. I, um, you can also split the profits with the client. You can donate money to a nonprofit that is meaningful to the client if you want to. Crafting stories around the, around the print, I think, is helpful. Saying this, this was a mural first and it was for this business. And... Now, now we're releasing a, a print edition and we're donating money to this nonprofit that's related to this client. Yeah, that, that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is if you're working with a really small company and they don't have much money to hire you for a mural. I'm actually trying this out for the first time, so I'm not sure how it's going to go. But I'm thinking of doing a lower rate for the mural and then saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do a print edition to raise money for the mural because they don't have the budget to go all in on a few thousand dollars for the mural. So we're going to do a lower cost for the mural and then we'll sell prints that will cover the rest of the cost of the mural, basically. And they, the prints can be sold at the client's store as well. So I don't even have to ship them. You know what I mean? I'm not sure how it's going to go. It's going to be a little a little interesting one, but I want to help a small business nearby here. And uh, that that's just like one way of thinking about art serving multiple purposes. One more note on that. I, I do think that if you're going to release prints at different sizes or different edition sizes or colors or materials, it's good to announce that up front and say, I plan on making three different editions of this artwork in different colors. So people know that even though this is numbered to 20, there's going to be three more editions of 20 or two more editions of 20. Just being really clear, this is how rare this artwork is that you're going to invest in with prints. Yeah, that's a cool angle. Um, one I'd never asked you because this question wasn't existing as part of like the staple of what I asked, but if you were on death row, what would your last slice of pizza be, man? Oh, maybe margarita with uh with mushrooms anywhere specific tony's on the corner <laughs> tony's pizza in, Bro in brooklyn if you were reincarnated what would your new career path be outside of skating and painting just an artist world i at one point wanted to be a meteorologist dude me too <laughs> i mean weather's cool man <laughs> i used to want to until we had like our first tornado scare and i had to like hide under a pool table and it fucking scared the shit out of me and i'm like nope not for me i don't want that world weather's cool when it's on tv yeah so meteorologist but also photographer videographer i loved growing up skateboarding and filming and uh, i could have seen maybe getting into that from a more commercial side like doing professional video but i really like that i don't have to carry a lot of gear around everywhere i go I guess with murals, I do have to carry the paint, but um, the camera gear, man, that's a whole other investment. Not for me. Kudos to them, props to them. But do you believe in any type of aliens or paranormal or life forms existing outside of our solar system or a world that we just don't understand or know? Yeah, I love this podcast so much. It's so random. We're like value, 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 inspiration, marketing, and then aliens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I don't think that we know that much as humans uh, like we think we do. I think there's a lot of stuff going on that we can't perceive. And that's try to try kind of what I try to tap into with my art too. There's a lot of energy, there's a lot of things happening that are outside of our realm realm of sensation, right? We can't sense them with our five senses. So I do believe in that. I don't know about aliens with skinny green bodies, but I do think that there's life out there and there's a lot more going on that we can really perceive. Pentagon's been releasing videos. I don't know if they're little green men, but there's some crazy shit going on. Pentagon's <laughs> releasing it, so it's got to be something serious. But uh, all right, pizza rolls, pizza bagels, or Hot Pockets? Pizza bagels. You're talking to a New Yorker here, man. Bagels. It's more like the Jewish New Yorker in me. You call these bagels? You call these bagels. <laughs> I've burned my roof in my mouth too many times on those. But but yeah, last one. Where can people go to follow you online, support you, check out your work, purchase your work? Yep. So my website is f.studio.com. That's E-F-D-O-T, studio. On Instagram, I'm just f.dot. You can follow the content we create on Muralists, more educational content for artists on just at Muralists on Instagram. Got pretty lucky with that one. 
yeah, that, that's really the main ways to, to find my work. I have a Patreon. I teach on Skillshare, but you can find all that through my website on f.studio.com. And thank you, man. Thank you so much for, for having me. This is a great chat, great conversation. Yeah, this was a, a lot more loose and off the cuff from the first time around. So yeah, I appreciate you. Um, always the insight, always the extra set of perspective. That always helps keep me in check or keep me open-minded about things over the years. So much love to you, brother. And we will make a round three happen down the road. So thanks for thanks for coming back for round two. It's crazy to see how much growth we've had. This is awesome, man. Talk to you soon. All right. We'll get you in touch. PC family, I hope you enjoyed this little chit-chat with the homie F-Dot. Do what you do best. If you found value in what he had to say today, go blow him up right now on Instagram. Share with him your biggest takeaway. And just share this episode again if you really dig it with your friends, your family, or following. That's just a huge way you can help the growth of this show. And you can find the full episode information containing all links and references in the show notes within your current podcast listening app. And if this show has helped you along your creative grind, could you do me a solid and just leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts or iTunes? Not only does this help the show climb the charts in the arts design category, but it staples you in as a future listener of the week. And today's listener of the week is titled Love and Need to Listen, and it comes from Aslist from the United States. And they say, with this podcast, every episode that Scotty provides is great insight. He knows what to say to inspire and motivate you. I started listening at a very dark time and started looking at my life differently. Thank you for all your hard work and your insightful words. My design Instagram, creative, lid design, and personal is Amy Egaroli. So shout out to Amy. All right. Glad I read that. If anyone wants to connect. So yeah, when you leave a review, make sure to just plug your handle like that so I can give you a proper shout out alongside your name. That's dope. So thank you so much, Amy. I appreciate you. And as I sign off, I want to give a huge shout out to my podcast editor, Anya Brennan, executive assistant, Paige Garland, video specialist, Colton Bacher, social media coordinator, Hannah Schick, and Nick Jenkins, the homie from Luca for all the dope theme music you hear on this show. And as you finish off your week strong, I want to continue to encourage you to keep showing up, keep putting in the work, and keep creating. You got this.